Hey everyone, hope you all enjoyed last week's conversation with Johan Koss. Really appreciate you all taking the time to listen and hope you also found some time to hit the subscribe button while you were listening. Your support really does mean a lot to us here at Capitalize for Kids. Also wanted to thank everyone who reached out to share their feedback. Uh, it definitely goes a long way in helping us improve our offering and uh, the conversations that we have going forward. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sam Dubok. Uh, he's the co-founder of Pathways to Education, also the co-founder of Loyalty Group, which gave birth to the Air Miles Rewards Program. He's the CEO of Elkland Capital, and up until about a week ago, was the chair of the Business Development Bank of Canada. I really did have a ton of fun chatting with Sam, and I think that you'll all enjoy the conversation. So without wasting any more of your time, here it is. Sam, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. A big fan of what Capitalize for Kids is doing and uh, what you've done in the past and where you're headed. Thank you very much for, for saying that. And I'm going to start with a quote that I think you might be familiar with. Noblesse oblige. Right. For much who is given, much is expected. Right. Would love to get some background on, on, on that quote and, and how it's influenced you and, and your decision making. Oh, so I grew up in a family of four kids. We grew up in the Midwest in the United States. I came to Canada when I started Air Miles. Uh, and my parents were really big, and they, they're really fortunate. My dad was a, was a Harvard MBA. My mom was a, had a graduate degree. And so from the time I can remember even speaking, my parents were very involved in the community, whether it was my mom starting the Raggedy Ann store, whether it was my dad's work, uh, both at the Boy Scouts and some and other volunteer areas. Um, uh, they were always very big on, hey, listen, you kids got it good. You need to give back, right? Because you need, if you want to keep the community strong, then people need to support each other. And my parents felt very strongly about that. So this was one of those things, as you look back on your life, your parents beat stuff into you. Mm -hmm. This was one of those things. Kind of like the uh, Warren Buffett ovarian lottery or uh, Peter Parker's uncle with great responsibility. Or great power comes great responsibility. Well, there you go. Peter. I wouldn't exactly say Peter Parker is a good analogy, but um, <laughs> but yeah, you get the point. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So, so your parents obviously had a, a pretty significant influence then on you growing up, yeah. um, and 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 you know what you've done since Indiana and and thereafter. Yeah, they have, and you know, you know, and I look at Pathways, which I started back in '05, and we help kids in underprivileged areas graduate from high school. Uh, and then move on to post-secondary, and we've been, we just opened our 21st location. And you know, the, these kids are coming from a different spot than I came. You know, I had a, a you know, we were upper middle class in the United States. My dad ran factories from Westinghouse. My mom was super into education. I had all the things going for me back in the 70s and 80s when I grew up. And then I look at these kids that are coming to these areas where, frankly, they've got very little. They got one or one maybe a second parent. They have no history, no background, nobody mentoring and tutoring and teaching them. Uh, and it's no wonder that the kids in these areas are dropping out at 50% plus. And so, you know, it, it's, it's helpful, to, you know, to the extent that I can be helpful, uh, we can be helpful at Pathways and other places in helping turn that around. And especially if you're turning around kids, which is one of the things I like about you guys, is that if you can leverage a kid, then that kid grows up and turns around hundreds of kids. Mm -hmm. And it's really about creating that kind of leverage. You know, it's one thing to help an adult who's in there. 50s or 60s make it, and that's all great. But if you help that young, that young adult who's 15, 18 and make a mark and change the trajectory of, of what they're doing, then they can help hundreds of people. And that's the way you get leverage and you can really affect community change. Let me, let me take this opportunity to kind of you know, take, bring you back to talk about Pathways. Yep. So tell me a bit about Pathways, you know, how that started, um, you know, your role in, in, in founding that, and, and then kind of you know, the objectives of, of Pathways to Education. So Pathways is all about community succession through education. 
going to communities where there are high dropout rates, high degrees of crime, et cetera, and then helping educate those young people, showing them what's possible, showing them someone's cares, and giving them uh, some tools to deal with it so that they can change the trajectory of their lives and therefore change the trajectory of lives around it. You know, my involvement happened back in 03. It was up and running, founded by just a wonderful woman named Carolyn Acker uh, and a great guy named Norman Rowan. They really started the program and had begun to develop this program in Regent Park uh, in Toronto, uh, where the dropout rate at the time was 56%. We ultimately got the dropout rate down to 15%. And by the way, that's about what we do across our whole system. It's about a 70 to 75% dropout reduction. Uh, and about a 70% increase in those going on to post-secondary, which, by the way, we would define as anything from Queens to trade schools and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, we don't really care as long as they find a passion and find something they can do. Um, and it was about trying to turn the community around. My involvement, I got involved on the board of uh, sort of the development board early on, uh, sort of two years in, and then became chair of that development board, and then began to really see that the power of Pathways and what the, the effects we were having on these young adults and how we could sort of take that, and almost had a moral obligation to take that and roll that out across the country. So today we just opened, I'm happy to announce, our 21st site. Uh, thanks, we're excited. Uh, we operate from coast to coast and almost to coast, the third coast. Uh, we operate in areas where there is first generational poverty, second generational poverty. Five of our sites now are dominated by indigenous issues uh, and indigenous poverty. So we sort of, it, it's interesting thing about Pathways is and the actual development that, that Carolyn did um, uh, really works across a number of different variables, a number mm -hmm. of different drivers of it. Um, and my role has been, I started the National. Uh, I housed it in my office for a long time. We've built it now. There are about 280 people across Canada now that work for Pathways full-time, whether they work for us or our partner organizations. And this year we'll have over 6,000 kids. We've got about five, 6,000 alum. And, uh, you know, our goal is to take that and multiply that by 10 or 100. About 750,000 kids live in poverty today in Canada. We think, based on our analysis, 250 to 300,000 of those are destined to drop out. That's just too many. Then our goal is to see if we can affect not the 12 or 13,000 we've affected to date, but try and affect and make sure that 250,000 doesn't happen. And, and one thing that you guys have, from what I've read, been very successful at is re-engaging your alumni to come back. And so it's almost you know the compounding returns there yep. from, from the students or the the, the young uh, folks that you, that you help. So tell me about that, how that model is almost self-fulfilling, so to speak. Well, so if you take a look at Pathways now, it's 2017. We now have alumni out of high school that are 12, 13 years out. And as the program got more scale, you know, 10, 12 years out. So you can imagine these young adults now are in their, being in their early 30s. Um, many of them are in great careers and they're in the midst of their career and they're really building up. And so we've got a, a really thriving alumni network. And I'm happy to say this past year, our first alumni has now joined our board of directors. No way. <laughs> Nasita Tapata uh, is now a great member of our board of directors and really, I'll tell you, brings this wonderful texture to the conversations and knowledge uh, that those of us that are on the board know because we've been involved for a long time, but really don't fundamentally get from the day-to-day -day perspective. So, uh, so we're really excited. We're talking about creating another alumni post, so we're, we're really, really pleased in seeing what's happening. It must be one of the more incredible things to see and watch grow from 03 all the way to 2017, although you've become and, and all that it has uh, done across the country, like you said, because a, a, a problem for uh, scaling uh, programs like these is really you know, finding a way to make it have an impact in a bunch of different communities that all have their own set of variables, like you mentioned. What is 
what makes Pathways so successful at scaling across the country and having an impact in a number of these different communities? So, so we think of Pathways in sort of, uh, if you will, 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Pathways 1.0 was really prove the basic model in Regent Park, make sure that it worked, perfect it. We did that through about 05, and we started the national organization. 2.0 is really taken it to 21 sites. And I'll tell you what, what's made 2.0 fundamentally successful uh, is one is, I think we have a really uh, strong model. And the model, it's, it is largely the same, although obviously adapted over years, uh, that Carolyn and Norman started. And so that model consists of our four pillars, consists of how we want to make, how we find ways to get, a, to get effects. Uh, it's also, Pathways is fundamentally data-driven organization. I mean, we measure everything, we track things, we make sure that the inputs we do generate outputs far greater. And so, you know, the Boston Consulting Group did the original study, others including McKinsey, um, C.D. Howe, University of Toronto have all looked at it, and our social return, our return on investment, or in our world called social return on investment, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 24 to one. So every dollar we put into these kids, these young adults, generates back. So I think having a focus on the fundamentals, having focus on driving it, maybe not like a, I'll call it not a traditional charity, but instead of thinking about input measurements, we really think about output. So driving it more, if you will, is a, is a, a business, a venture business, I think has been one of our successes. And the, and the other, a couple other successes, that I would say not the least of which is, is that we made the decision long ago that we weren't going to go into communities that didn't want us, mm-hmm. and we weren't going to go into communities that didn't have a very credible, strong local organization in which to host the program. And so if you look at our program hosts across the country, you know, whether it is the community health centers largely in Ontario, whether it's Pacific Coast Resource Center in down East Vancouver, you know, or whether it's the local governing unit um, in Massachusetts, Quebec, an indigenous, indigenous uh, community that we're in, uh, we've been really strong and really, um, I would say, hardcore about making sure we were with groups that were locally knowledgeable, strong, understood the issue. And we provide partnership with them. I mean, it's truly a partnership. Uh, they don't really report to us. We provide a lot of funding. We provide the intellectual property. We provide the knowledge. We provide the, we bring everyone together and so the training and everything. But, uh, you know, the second one would be making sure that we the right partner. So those are really, I would say, a couple of the keys to what our successes. Those are some pretty significant takeaways. One of them being, you know, taking that business like-minded approach to philanthropy and really, you know, rooting your decision-making in the data, um, which, you know, to change gears for a second, is that, was that also the catalyst behind you starting Loyalty One and, and, and how that got to, to be? Okay, you're stretching my memory about exactly <laughs> things. You know, that was, that was 30 years ago, almost um, 27 or something like that ago. Um, you know, the, the, reason per, the reason behind Loyalty One was quite simple, is you began to see companies that were starting to, to launch some basic loyalty programs, Club Z, for those of you that remember at Zellers and others. But Loyalty One, really, we took a different tact. We felt like, you know, those type of programs, they were either one off, the power of the community would be stronger than the power of one. So we thought, why not do a coalition marketing program? The second thing we did is that we fundamentally wanted to bring war capability to our sponsors, to the companies that joined us, that would be far in excess of what they could generate in their own and would give them a sustainable competitive advantage. So some of the key, some of the key design elements of, of loyalty uh, of Air Miles back then and continues to this day is you have category exclusivity. Right? We work very strong with partners. Our goal is to help them 
win. Second is to take the marketing effects and the power of the cross category. Because if you look at whether it's uh, one sponsor's company, like Shell's customers are gonna be different than Out West Safeway's customers. But together, using the unifying currency of air miles, each could help each other attract those customers that weren't theirs. So yeah, data had a lot to do with it. I mean, we're very data-driven. My, my finance business, Edgestone, that we started, again, we're known as very analytical uh, individuals here. Uh, because, the, you know, as, as I always say, the facts are friendly, mm-hmm. right? Whether you like what the facts say or not, the facts are friendly. And your co-founders at, at Loyalty One at Air Miles was uh, Craig and Rob. Yeah. What were the qualities that you admired in them and that, that made you guys work so well together? You know, honestly, as we got together, we, we, I knew Craig at Bix, we'd work together, but uh, we obviously didn't know Rob. And it was the, the power of the idea was catalyzing. So if you think of Capitalize for Kids and what you guys are doing, the power of what you're doing in mental health, and otherwise, that's a very catalyzing event. That brings people from different walks of life together to really get behind a common goal. It's the same in a company we have now called Beacon, which is gonna fundamentally change mental health delivery in Canada. Uh, and make it affordable and democratized for all, uh, people are joining us because of the power, uh, the power of that. What is so uh, significant or, or what's the catalyst behind Beacon that's going to bring that same type of energy for, for people to get around? People can't access psychological services in Canada today. It's not covered. It's privately covered. It costs you $150, $250 an hour. If you're suffering from depression or anxiety, that means to get a full course of something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is proven to be as effective as drugs, but without the side effects. Um, you're talking 10 to 15 sessions, so you're talking three to $5,000 to access that. Who can afford that out of their own pocket today? It's fundamentally not fair, just like at Pathways. It fundamentally isn't fair that those kids were born that way and don't have the opportunity. And so really it was out of that that we started it. So people will now be able to access full psychological treatment for 20% of the cost. They'll be able to do it where, how, and when they want it. Studies have proven across the country, including we hired one of the world's experts who happens to be at the University of Regina. Studies have proven that doing it digitally with an e-therapist to work, walk with you and, and, and walk you through it and make it work uh, are as effective, if not more effective, than in-person treatment. But yet we don't offer that. So our goal was to take Beacon, is to take that, use Beacon to, I will tell you, solve what I consider to be a fundamental inequity or fundamental fairness issue. Beacon and, and Pathways to Education both, you know, solving uh, problems that you view as inequitable. Mm-hmm. What makes you want to solve those problems in that spaces? What what brings you to those spaces specifically? You know, education or or, or mental health. What drives you there as opposed to something else? You, you know, I I, pers- I think personal preference. You know, you know, again, you hear me talk about leverage. Education is the ultimate leverage vehicle. Teach people and give them skills and training and ways to think about problems and they create wonderful things across the world. So again, taking a leverage issue and an inequity that doesn't exist and solving it, and I believe firmly that the community and the private sector can solve these things better than legislation can, because you can't legislate change, people have to want it. Um, So that was really the education on pathways. Mental health, listen, we've had some experience with mental health in my family, for sure. Uh, And we've seen firsthand how hard it is to access the system. I'm in a fortunate position, uh, you know, you listed earlier the, the, the roles that I have, I'm in a fortunate position to be, able to, to be able to access a lot of the services and even I found it hard to access. So, you know, it's not fair that if I'm having a hard time accessing, people without the means are having a real. And so, you know, 
I'm a huge believer, and if you look at what I do, is I'm a huge believer in trying to narrow the gap of an equity of opportunity. So I believe in equity of opportunity for young people. I fundamentally don't believe in equity of outcome. I think you need to make, you need what you need. If you're given the tools and the sets, it's up to you to make with it and do with it what you want. I'm not going to legislate equality of outcome, but I fundamentally like the idea of equality of opportunity. Let's level the playing field early and let's, let's see what people do with it. And if people do great things with it, bless them, they should be rewarded. If people decide they, you know, taking a crazy example, want to binge watch TV all day, hey, that's a decision they made. I'm not going to legislate that decision. That's a decision, and unfortunately, we live in a relatively free country. So I think that's a decision people get to make. So I'm fundamentally about equal equality of opportunity. So if you start thinking through that basis, you start getting to a lot of these things I've done. On the time outside of work, you know, what was your, what did you do with your time when you came out of uh, Tufts, for example? How did you fill your time outside of school that really, you know, kept you passionate about, you know, everything that you, you did and, and really helped, you know, catalyze you or, or catapult you into the next, uh, you know, position or, or, or organization, whatever it may be? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of time outside of work. Uh, you know, I was one of those guys that uh, decided that he was going to work a whole ton of hours in the early amount of his career and really get ahead. You know, the, the advice I give to my kids and uh, the advice I give to a lot of kids, as you imagine, in my Pathways role, I've, mm -hmm. you know, Olga tells me I've spoken to, you know, several hundred kids over, over the years who have come to see me. My door is always open for Pathways kids. Uh, is, you know, put yourself in a position where it's your option, not someone else's. So focus on, if it's in work, focus on being indispensable, focus on exceeding expectations, focus on always sort of delivering. And I'd say the same thing in the, in the thing outside of life. You know, Jim Collins wrote a great book called Good to Great. Um, there's also a not-for-profit equivalent written, uh, written by uh, Heather, uh, Heather McLeod Grant, uh, which is essentially good to great for not-for-profits. And they always talk about the nexus of doing what you're good at, doing what you love to do, and finally, doing where you get the reward you want whether it's economic, whether it's social, whether it's whatever else. And it's what you're good at for obvious reasons. It's what you love to do because that means you're going to want to work hard at it and where it delivers a reward. And I always tried to focus, you know, I was fortunate we never, didn't crystallize until I read the book. But as I look back at my career, I've been fortunate enough to luck into focusing on those three things. Fascinating. That's a good uh, model for people to use, I guess, when they're, you know, coming out of school. Um, or even, you know, young professionals yeah. who are now a few years into their, their role um, and starting to realize, you know, because you come out of school, you might work those 100-hour work weeks, and then three to five years in, you start scaling back because you're more effective in your role, so now you have uh, some capacity that, that's opened up. Right. Um, so would you recommend that people use that capacity right away to um, know what they love or something that might benefit them in the future? Uh, something a little bit more like uh, something on the lines of philanthropy or uh, taking a course or something that they might not love in that moment, but that might reap rewards uh, down the line. Oh, the greatest rewards in my career, among the greatest rewards in my career, have when I when we cottoned on, I say we because it's truly my wife and I are partners in this, uh, when we cottoned on to this issue of how do we leverage other people's and the rewards we've gotten, whether you know, she's she just done a ton of work at Sick Kids or whether it's the work at, she's on time work with me at Pathways and other things, it's seeing the success and helping be part of that success has actually been one of the great rewards. So, you know, I would say to all, you know, all of your listeners out there is for sure focus on your career and focus on what you, what, what's, if that's important to you, if, if family's more important to you, then focus on that. But whatever you decide is super important, do the best you absolutely can at it. Just be the best or try and, try and be the best you can be at it. Uh, that will create rewards. 
And also, you know, it sets you up for the future, right? You, you know, I, I urge people, especially younger people, like don't try and reap the rewards in your 20s. The 20s and 30s are about investing. You begin to reap those rewards later on. Not that you can't get some of it. I love doing it along the way as well. But, you know, remember that there are, you know, I look at my business school class, for instance, the people that are doing the most interesting things and most successful things are ones that, that stood through the ups and the downs of their life and basically focused and stayed focused on as opposed to try and flip back and forth. You know, oh, this isn't working so well, so I'm going to go do something else. It's those that stuck with it, that had the resilience and stuck with it, that are today uh, the ones that are doing the really interesting things and the most successful. And that's a good point, but it's, it's often tough coming out of school, right? Because you have, uh, for the first time, you have a, a, a time horizon that's longer than like four to five years, call it. Right? Like in, in elementary school, you have five years, then high school, same thing, university, maybe four years. You come out and all of a sudden it's like a 40-year time horizon. For sure. So how do you break that down, right? How do you, how do you really understand what a 40-year 40 40 year ROI looks like? You get, well, Jobs had a great, there's a great speech by Jobs of 2005 at, I'm going to say Stanford, but I don't think it's Stanford. I'm probably wrong on that. But it's on YouTube, Jobs' graduation speech. You know, one of the things he says is trust that the dots will connect. Mm -hmm. Do what you love. He sort of goes back. He doesn't use the Collins words, but he's kind of saying, do what you love, do what you're good at, and trust the dots will connect. Yeah. You can't connect the dots. You can't connect the yeah. dots. By the, way, if you could, by the way, you don't want to connect the dots early on because the reality is, is then life wouldn't be exciting and fascinating. You'd get no curveballs. Nothing interesting would come up. If you could foresee the future, you probably wouldn't want it. Yeah. Sam uh, is the chair of the board at the Business Bank Development Canada. Um, you've been there for a few years now. Yep. Uh, you came on in 2014, yep. January, and uh, would love to know more about that role, what that entails. Uh, you know. so, so we're Canada's bank. We're the only bank focused exclusively on entrepreneurs in Canada. Uh, we are a federal crown corporation. We have of the 1.1 million businesses in Canada, we have about 50,000 of them as our customers. Uh, and we really operate at the earlier stage, younger stage, higher risky stage, where maybe some of the more mainstream financial institutions see more risk. Our role is to see more opportunity uh, in that. And one of the things I'm most proud of what we've done at BDC since I've been there is we've really focused on the young entrepreneur. Canada needs to be a startup nation. We need to start companies. We need to grow them into the next champions, the next research in motion, BlackBerry now. You know, we need to pick the next, we need to help pick the next and grow the next open text. Shopify, we were investors. So all of those kind of companies, we need to help do that. And, and one of the things we've done is we put a lot of money, effort, and time into focusing on accelerators, focusing on venture capital, the venture capital action plan, and other things by focusing on helping young people get the resources and training they need to run businesses. You know, everything from, you know, the important stuff, how do you, how do you actually sell a product? Mm -hmm. How do you actually manage your cash flow? How do you actually manage people? Uh, to the, I would say, kind of maybe I, it's important, but you know, the less day-to-day -day stuff like how do you raise money in a business? How do you how how does good governance work? You know, how do you think about diversity and diversity training and all of that sort of stuff? So, um, those are things that we do now uh, terrifically well. Um, we're also focused uh, and have been for several years on making sure that there's a, speaking of diversity, equality of entrepreneurial opportunity for women entrepreneurs as well as for male entrepreneurs. You know, women as a, as a percentage are underrepresented. So, for instance, we just launched the first only fund dedicated towards women-owned businesses for equity and venture capital. 
We dedicated $700 million of incremental lending solely to women's owned businesses with the target of fully deploying it by June of 2018. I'm happy to say we've now 120% deployed it as of June of 2017. Amazing. So over a year early. Uh, we're running all kinds of seminars and things like that to ensure that uh, there's no biases in our system. So um, I think there's just lots of opportunity there for people to get involved, especially the younger people looking to start the business. There's a ton of resources sitting there. So so I'm a, a university student. Yep. So make this tangible for me. I'm a university student. I have a great idea. Uh, however, the concept of going and seeking help from BDC seems a little bit uh you know, something like I can't do. I don't know how I'm going to bring my idea to actual scale uh, to become the next research in motion, for example. Uh, what advice would you give then to a student who has a great idea? Uh, it's in you know, beta testing right now at university, and they want to get in front of you know, someone like BDC. So we're now sponsoring. Uh, uh, well, we don't sponsor. There are something like 110 accelerators across the country and a whole bunch of angel networks, which you can access through our website and see. We fully sponsor, I think, something like 15 or 20 of them. Uh, as well to sort of make sure we're imprinted there. Once you get out, once you begin to get your business going, we also have our $150,000 loan program where we'll actually give you money, non-dilute of equity. So it's not equity, but it's really not, it's not really debt either uh, that will get you going out of that. We run all kinds of educational opportunities. And frankly, in the last two years, we've added over 150 account reps. So you can just call your local BDC offices. We have 125 offices across the country. There's an office near you, and what we love to do, and what our role is, because keep in mind, our role is dual mandate. We are to help Canada's SMEs grow and prosper, and do it in what I'll call an economically sustainable fashion. So it's not all about making money at BEC. Our successes are other people's successes. It's not, our successes aren't solely measured by what the numbers look like. So, BDC is a very friendly organization. You don't need to be connected in to get a hearing and an audience at BDC. That's what we're there for. You know, it, it sounds like you know whether it's your work at BDC, uh, your work uh, at Pathways Education, you know, any of the, the number of roles that you've held, you always seem to, uh, like you said before, provide equity of opportunity. And it also seems like you do a great job of blurring the line between business and philanthropy. It's almost like you you don't view them as two separate silos in their, your head. The way that you view it is they're both one and the same, two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Am I, am I correct in assuming that? So, so I, would, I think one of the problems with most philanthropy is that they have this weird notion that it's, it's about something other than outcomes, measures, and success. Like to me, the difference between Pathways and Pickett, we pick, pick a company that we've owned, uh, is simply what's your measure of success. It's not you know, how you grow it, it's not how you fund it really, it's not how you build it, it's what's your most success. And, and I am equally comfortable, I think thankfully for me, because it makes, it makes a difference on what I like to do, is you know, I focus on what is the outcome of success measure that I'm trying to achieve, and then you go for that. It's, it's, you know, money's very interesting, but you know, one of the things we learned early on with Air Miles, the reason why Air Miles, the currency was travel and experiential, is money has no memory. Nasita Tapati, who I told you is on our board, who I've known for years, that's memory. Like this is a young woman who's gonna kill it in the future. She is on a path, success. We just had, a, we just had somebody graduate from the Columbia Business School. Wow. A kid from Regent Park who had nothing, you know, 10 years ago, just graduated from the Columbia Business School. That's pretty exciting. We have kids at Queens, we have kids all over, kids at Western. All these young people are doing great things, 
those are important memories. You know, BDC, we've gone from 28, 29,000 customers since I joined the board. We're now over 50,000. That's an extra 20,000 uh, companies in Canada who, by the way, employ on average 20 people who pay taxes, uh, who, who, who generate wealth and generate everything else. That's meaningful to the country. That's powerful stuff. So it's absolutely, good stuff. yeah. You know, two things. I think that that was a, a great quote. That you know, uh, money has no memory. And another one is the power of community versus the power of one. I think everyone should take that away. Those are two awesome, awesome takeaways from this chat. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, honestly, you know, we can't thank you enough uh, for being a guest on the on the show. Uh, everyone, including myself, uh, truly appreciate all of your insights. Thank you for for taking the time to chat with us here, and uh, hope we can do it again sometime. I look forward to it. Congratulations on what you all are doing for Capitalize Your Kids. I think it's fantastic. Thank you very much, Sam. Take care. And there it is. Thank you so much to Sam for giving us your time. And thanks to all of you for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Leave us a comment or send us your feedback. We're only going to get better with the feedback that we get from you. So please don't be shy to share any thoughts or opinions. This podcast was produced by the genius himself, Eugene McCashew. And I'm your host, Evan Sequera. If any of you have any interest in learning more about Capitalize for Kids, you can find us here at www.capitalizeforkids.org. Last week I had someone give me feedback that I say my W's weird, so hopefully you can now understand that it is www.capitalizeforkids.org. And that's also evidence that your feedback does get listened to and does get put into improving this podcast. We look forward to having you join us in two weeks when we'll be speaking with Brett Lindros, former NHL player and current partner at HGC Investment Management, which is a hedge fund here in Toronto. Uh, he's also brother of NHL Hall of Famer Eric Lindros, uh, who is very involved in pushing concussion legislation forward here in Ontario. So we have a great conversation with him coming up in two weeks time. In the meantime, hope you all have a very fun and safe St. Patrick's Day. Take care and speak to you in two weeks.